This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Showy, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Happy November. Am I the only person who is just kind of like shaking my head in disbelief that it is already November? Where did this year go? I don't know. 2022 just flew by for me. Well, I hope that you guys are doing well. I have just a couple quick announcements and then we get to jump into t- the meat of today's podcast. So first of all, I just want to take us a minute to say thank you to those of you who were kind enough to send me notes and uh, emails, messages of encouragement over losing my little nano. I really appreciate that. It does mean a lot to me. And it's gotten a little bit easier with time. I have uh, come to get get used to not having him always here, but I do appreciate that. And I also wanted to take a minute. This is something I should have mentioned a a long time ago and and kind of shame on me for not saying this sooner. But I I tend to get a couple emails a week from you guys. Sometimes they're questions and, and a lot of times they're just listeners. Those of you who listen and drop me a note to let me know what the Lord's doing in your life. And it's just so exciting to see what the Lord is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters across this world. Really, I'm, I'm getting messages from people all over all over the world, not, not specifically just here in the United States. So the first thing I wanted to do is say thank you when you take the time to write those emails. I'm limited on time to respond. I would love to, to have a phone conversation or a you know a, ch- a Zoom chat with all of you, to be honest with you. That, if I had my druthers, that's really my passion. But unfortunately, time doesn't always permit that. But when you do take the time to send me a note, it's very helpful. It, it's really weird being a podcaster because I just don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Are you listening? Do, you know, is it encouraging you? Because there, there's not a whole lot of feedback when you're doing a podcast. But when you do take the time to send me a note, it does mean a lot. And I thank you for that. It is also just encouraging. I just wanted to say to you guys that listen to this, you're a part of a really big family. <laughs> I don't talk about how many listeners there are in this podcast because it's not about the number of listeners in um, numbers are just numbers. They're just that I, I, I hate how we've kind of compromised the gospel for the sake of feeding or filling seats and, you know, putting butts in chairs at churches. And so sometimes when you talk about numbers, you have, it can detract from the most important thing, which is, you know, if, if this podcast impacted one or two people, then it would have been worth it. But the numbers are in the thousands and it's quite humbling and exciting to see what the Lord is doing with his body. And I don't look at this and take any credit because I really, I can't take any credit. Um, it's interesting. I've been reading the book of Deuteronomy and I love the book of Deuteronomy. It's actually three sermons that Moses preaches to the people right before he leaves. And believe it or not, Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy a good bit. So it's just such a great book. But one of the things that the Lord reminds the people in Deuteronomy is he says, listen, he said, you have got to be really careful not to lose sight of my ways, not to get distracted because what's going to happen is when you're prosperous and all the things that I promised you, I give you, you're going to forget who gave them to you. And you're going to think that you're the one who provided them for yourself. And um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing from Deuteronomy chapter eight right now. And he says, and then you're going to stray and leave me. And boy, is that not so true? That is such our nature, right? When things go well, we just kind of forget about God and he goes on the back burner. But when things are are struggling that's when we find ourselves really you know digging into him and i love that warning that he gives and so when i think about this podcast you know i don't look at it and think oh wow look at what i've done i look at it and think wow thank you lord for allowing me to be a part of this but most importantly i just get excited about what's happening in the body of christ 
You know, it's interesting. I was the other day just thinking about my family. I'm very, very, very blessed and fortunate to have an incredible family. My parents are wonderful. My sisters, brother-in-laws, nieces and nephews, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, my cousins. I truly, genuinely am beyond blessed by the family that the Lord has given me. And I was just thinking about how much I love them and how I would do anything for them because I'm just so incredibly grateful for them in my lives. And as I was thinking about that and just allowing kind of that emotional connection that occurs when you when you do love somebody deeply to settle in, I rem, I'm reminded that you are equally my family, that we are all one body. We are knit together under the Lord. And though we may not have the opportunity to chat this side of the earth or maybe via email and, and our communication is limited, when we get to heaven, the way I feel about my earthly family is the way that I'm going to feel about you. We are going to have such a deep, tight bond and connection And it's really quite exciting when you think about how precious the body of Christ is and how we are really just called to love and serve one another. And that comes just born out of our relationship with the Lord. So I just wanted you guys to know that I do love you guys. I do thank the Lord for you. I do pray for you. And it's encouraging to me to see how many of you have decided that you genuinely want to follow Jesus no matter what the cost is. And you're abandoning this idea of half-hearted or church-going Christianity, but you recognize that Christianity is so much more than that. It is an all-encompassing decision to lay down your life and become an entirely new person and allow the Lord to work through you and to see the world through an entirely different lens, through your identity as a Christian and see your life through the lens of what I do has an eternal value. And therefore, I want the things that I do in my life to the eternal, the eternal version of those things to be my priority. And so I just want to, I just wanted to say to all of you that, that listen to this, you're part of a big family. This is a part of our story and this is part of how God has decided to knit us together and to build us up and to encourage us. And I want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that pray for this podcast, for those of you that financially support this podcast, for those of you that take time to write notes, I mean, it all matters. It's all a part of our job as a body of Christ. You know, it's really easy in today's world, especially, and I've said this many times, to get this celebrity Christianity idea. I'm convinced, by the way, that God will never let us fully see the fruit of our obedience to him because we might forget who actually did it, just like Deuteronomy chapter 8. We might forget him in the process. A new movie is coming out very soon, and it's about the Calvary Chapel movement, about what Pastor Chuck Smith and his wife Kay Smith did. And when, when they reached out to the hippies and really started the Jesus movement in the 60s and What's really interesting about that, and I think about this a lot, is a lot of the things that we're dealing with culturally today, the transgender movement, the the you know, the the rise in abortion, the promulgation of the homosexual lifestyle, all of these things were really took root deeply in the sixties. And so we're seeing this generation. There was this really profound thing that happened in the sixties. And if you're not aware of this, this is a, a good quick lesson. So I learned about all this reading the book Harvest, which documents the history of Calvary Chapel. And essentially what happened is Pastor Chuck was pastoring a church and the Lord just started moving in his heart about the fact that he wanted to teach the people and not preach at people. And so he got to church one Sunday and he put the chairs in a circle and he said, I want to sit down and teach people. And his elders just had a fit like, no, this isn't how we do church. And that eventually allowed Pastor Chuck to 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 say, okay, wait a minute, what is what is being a minister all about? And him and his wife Kay opened their home to the hippies in the '60s. Now, for those of us who never lived through the '60s, we just watch, you know, the videos of Woodstock and we listen to Bob Dylan and and we think that, oh man, the hippies, you know, the, the hippie time was a great time. It really wasn't, though. I mean, yes, I'm I'm sure that if you were tripping on LSD and and doing all these drugs and shroom and whatever else, you know, the the very low THC doses of marijuana that these hippies were taking and 
and um, you know, going to music festivals, it seemed great. But when you kind of go, be- you know, beyond that surface, what you see is is there was a, a lot of a lot of the drug use was really actually filling a void. You had all of the you know war stuff going on with the Vietnam War, and mind you, our country had just barely recovered from World War II and you know World War One, and and you know there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of, of war violence and trauma that our country was coming out of, but it was also just a very sexually promiscuous culture. If you learn about Woodstock, you know beyond just the oh look, it looks like they're having so much fun. I mean, it left the they left the place trashed. There was so much sexual promiscuity. Babies were born out there. I mean, it was it was not the grand fun party it looks like and that's the thing is again satan's counterfeits always look like they're so great uh when we're going to have a real party at the marriage supper of the lamb and we're going to have a real woodstock that isn't going to be filled with filth and muck and demonic things but instead of light and joy and it will be genuine and everlasting and won't leave behind you know a bunch of messes but what's interesting is that sexual revolution that was born in the 60s you know i i learned a lot about and i've talked about this on this podcast the transgender movement was really born uh, the movement in the way that we see it. I'm not, I'm not talking about gender dysphoria, which is a very different thing than the transgender movement. They've essentially what they've done is they piggybacked on gender dysphoria, which is the psychological disease that deals with, or the psychological disorder that deals with, you know, believing that you are a different gender than your body. But this whole movement that we have right now to, to, to try to push children into questioning their gender identity and changing their gender identity and the surgeries goes back to the 60s. And I've talked about this before in other podcasts where Stephen Crowder did a great job finding this kind of think tank that thought about this. And they they published this this information publicly. And their plan was always to start with the LGBT or the, the LGB community and then push into the, the TG or TQ. I'm sorry, I, I get confused with all this stuff. And kind of push it that way. And again, their whole goal was to normalize pedophilia when it was all said and done. And to quote Allie B. Stuckey, there is no moral reason why a grown man would want to dress in women's provocative clothing and dance provocatively in front of children. There is no moral explanation for that. It is heinous, disgusting. It is it is of the lowest absolute possible uh filth imaginable and and it, and, it, and it goes back to just this simple understanding so I, i'm going to take a minute and go down this road because i think this is so important for us to understand one of the things that i've done a lot of study on in, in my secular studies is neural neuroscience and how our brain works in dopamine rushes and for me it kind of started going down this journey of understanding how pornography affects the brain so if you understand how our brain works dopamine is the drug that's censored it's it's, it's our uh, pleasure drug so when you eat something that tastes good you get a dopamine rush when you go buy that thing you really want you get a dopamine rush when you uh, are sexually aroused you get a dopamine rush what the normalization of pornography has done for anybody who's a regular porn addict and by the way i I just want to say i'm not here judging you if if you've looked at pornography or if you are regularly using it but i'm telling you if you think that it's benign you're lying to yourself porn is very dangerous on so many fronts Um, spiritually it's killing you because remember what the bible says whoever sins is a slave to sin and sin is death. And so you can't just tip, you just cannot just dip your toe in the water of sin and think you're okay. But with what pornography, not only does it support a very dark and evil industry where human trafficking is the norm and, and, you know, sexual mutation and, and 
abuse is the norm, but it's also changing your psychology. So men were never designed to look at a bunch of naked women. Men, you know, the reason that men are so physically or, you know, visually aroused is because you're only supposed to have ever seen one naked woman your whole life. And that was your wife. And then, then we created ways to see naked women on a regular recurring basis. And so what's happened with porn and making it so accessible is that the dopamine pathways in your brain that absorb that dopamine and get that rush of pleasure, they become dopamine resistant when they get access to too much dopamine. So this, you'll see this happen uh, with somebody who gets addicted to, to anything, really anything. And so what happens is what, what once was satisfying isn't enough. And so you need more and more and more and more and more. And so this is why child pornography in the, or child or pedophilia, I should just say, this is why pedophilia is going to become normalized because it was, it once was just look at a naked woman. And then it was, well, just watch a little bit of porn. And then it's more porn, more porn. And then acting it out isn't enough. And the next thing is the next level, which is children. And so we've created this culture where people are dopamine addicts. All you have to do is watch people walking around on their phones. By the way, half of the apps on your phones, if not more, especially TikTok, which I knock on a lot on here, are designed for that dopamine rush. And so this is why we're addicted to our phones. Have you ever thought like why you might get like a little bit of anxiety if you put your phone down and leave, go to go, just leave your phone at home. Your kids, your family, are everybody safe? Leave your phone at home and go for a walk for an hour without your phone. And you will find that you have a, 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 some level of anxiety. And that is because you've become a dopamine addict. These apps have been designed to make your brain register that dopamine and want more, want more, want more, want more, want more. We have reprogrammed our brains in this way. And pornography has been the number one culprit of that, uh, especially amongst men. Now, I'm not saying that women don't struggle with this because they do as well. It's, it's whatever your poison is, guys, by the way. It might be food. It might be TV. It might be uh, reading books. It, you know, I, I can get myself lost in a fantasy fiction world if I wanted to. And I have to be very careful where I only allow myself to read a few fantasy fiction series throughout the years because I could literally become addicted to the rush that comes with reading fantasy fiction books. That's my that's my genre of, of book that I love to read. And so the reason that pedophilia is next is because normal adult sex isn't going to cut it for these dopamine addicts out there. And so now we're going to see this push, this normalization and in Steven Crowder did a great job documenting this. This goes back to the 60s. And so what happened, and I'm bringing this back full circle to Calvary Chapel, what happened in the 60s is that as this big divide occurred in our country, God then sends down the Jesus movement. And a large part of that was in Southern California through Pastor Chuck Smith. And in the book Harvest, he documents a lot of this. So they've recently just made a movie. The trailer's just been out. It's awesome. About Chuck and Kay letting the hippies into their house. And again, they were dirty. They were stinky. They were grungy. They were homeless, many of them, drug addicts. And just the beautiful story of the church opening its doors to the dirty people on the outside and how um, Pastor Jack Hibbs and uh, Greg Laurie and Skip Isaac and so many of these uh, these pastors, they were these hippie kids on the streets that Pastor Chuck let into his house. And so it's really exciting for me to see this story because my parents were those hippie kids that got saved during the Jesus movement through Calvary Chapel. And I'm not saying all Calvaries are perfect or all Calvaries are created equal, but uh, you know, I can tell you growing up, part of the reason that I know God's word as well as I do is because I grew up in a church that saw that taught us simply teach the Bible simply. And so, you know, they Calvary chapels are committed to verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible teaching, at least on Sundays. And sometimes they do more topical on Wednesdays. It's, it varies from one church to the next because it's not really a denomination, but you do have to agree to certain doctrines in order to be affiliated with Calvary Chapel. And you have to go through an affiliation process uh, just to make sure that if you are walking into a Calvary Chapel, you know what you're getting. Um, so it, some people criticize it as being a denomination, whatever. I, I, I don't, um, I'm going to stick with the non-denominational title. 
But anyway, I say all that to say that it's really interesting uh, watching kind of this, this shift that's happening in our culture. And this is why I'm excited to be launching the podcast with Paul. It's called the Warriors Rising. We are almost done with the website. Just have to put a few things in there. And then Paul and I are going to uh, record our first session. And, you know, what, what we really want to do in that is we want to talk about the changing of the operating environment, what's happening in our world, and how to look at it through a Christian worldview. As I look back over COVID and I think about you know, how many of us were so caught off guard. I, you know, first of all, thank God that I was in, he had woken me up prior to all of that. And I was in a place where I was learning to follow him and question everything and take everything to him. And as a result, the Lord really protected myself and my family from a lot of the dangerous things that have been happening. And that happened as a result of COVID. And I didn't buy into any of the narratives and I'm grateful for that because we look back now and we know that, for example, face masks were not a good idea. They did not stop the transmission of COVID. They were actually detrimental to the health and detrimental to the development of children. Stopping school was not healthy to children. Um, I've talked about this before. There's now mounds of data that show that the vaccine was not safe or effective. And there are many, many people who are uh, coming up with blood clots and myocarditis and um uh, Bell's palsy. Uh, we have SADS on the rise and the common link through all of this seems to be the vaccine. And the interesting thing about it is you can't find this information on the mainstream, even though it is becoming the, the plethora of evidence out there is unbelievable. And again, if you want to stay connected to all of this, Coffee and COVID is a great blog written by Jeff Childers, and he does a great job comp, you know, uh, compiling all this. But there are also several other uh, journalists out there who are focused on nothing other than bringing to light the misinformation that was spread. And, you know, it was interesting. I was watching just kind of a little joke my cousin sent me and it was a comedian and he was talking about, I don't have tolerance for people who are this or that. He said, but you know who I don't have tolerance for? People who don't believe in any conspiracy theories. And, you know, one of the ways that uh, Christians were gaslit during the pandemic was to be told, I can't believe you'd believe that stuff. You're such a conspiracy theorist. And, and by the way, the Satan gaslights us about our Bible all the time. One of the things that I have just been absolutely loving is I am still knee deep in apologetics. Part of the reason why I have not made any podcasts about that is, is I feel like I'm a good ways down the road, but still have a lot I want to learn before I do podcasts focus on that. But I did just finish reading a great book called How Not to Read the Bible. And it deals with some of the tough questions like, is God an egotistical, you know, death killing maniac? Or, you know, is, is the Bible misogynist? Is it talked down to women? And does the Bible really say you can't eat shrimp? And it's a great book. It breaks all that stuff down. If you are raising young people and you want them to be equipped to deal with some of the pushback they're going to get as Bible-believing Christians, it's a fantastic book for you know those preteens, teenagers, those going into college to have a good foundation to understand when these you know when these anti-God you know God-hating or it just brainwashed you know just plain and simply you know deceived people come to you and say the Bible's this and the Bible says that and they take scriptures out of context and they use it to try to paint this picture of God that is not who he really is. Um, it, it's a great book that helps dispel all of that. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, the more and more that I study about apologetics, and I'm, I'm watching this great documentary series, I mean, the more and more that I see that Satan has been gaslighting Christians for a long time. I can't believe you believe in that fairy tale of the Bible. And then you look at the, you look at the, the um, theory of evolution, macroevolution from one species to another, and you're like, there's not a single, there's not a single fossil evidence to verify this. And I, you know, I engage people on TikTok on this a lot. And I'm like, they're like, they'll send me to Britannica's website. And I'm like, every, all they have are a bunch of sketches or they have ape skeletons or human skeletons, but there are no human ape hybrid. Those, they don't exist other than in made believe drawings. And the irony of that is 
is you have this entire planet who believes in macroevolution you know, mocking Christians for believing the Bible, which has been proved historically, which has been proved scientifically, what you can, the fossil record verify, archaeology, paleontology, you can go back and look at Luke's capturing of history and acts and every every physical location and every ruler that he names has been historically verified. And, and yet they make fun of us for believing in God's word, which for 2000 years, people have been trying to destroy. And yet they believe in a bunch of drawings that are not proven that the fossil record has disproved that DNA has disproved that microbiology has disproved. And they make fun of us. And so this whole concept of being talked down to and gaslit, but also not going to the source of truth for our information is part of the reason why I'm so excited about this podcast. And I'm still talking about this podcast. Believe it or not, that's where this all was going. And that's because I really do believe as Christians, we we cannot allow ourselves to, to fall into the trap that we fell into during COVID. We cannot allow ourselves just because a lot of people are saying it on TV, just because it's mainstream, just because they're calling us science deniers or climate deniers or anti-vaxxers, whatever name they throw at us, we cannot allow that to intimidate us from going to the throne and getting the source of knowledge and the source of wisdom and the source of truth from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and those of us that made mistakes during the pandemic made those mistakes because we turned to the world. We turned on to NBC, ABC, and the, all of those bullcrap channels to get our information rather than to God and rather than to God's word. And so, you know, this is my cry to all of us. If, if COVID didn't wake you up, I am now begging you now to wake up. Stop believing the, the mainstream narratives. Satan, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language because he is the father of all lies. Jesus tells us this. And so when we know he's the prince of this world, we know he's the ruler of this world until Jesus comes back and takes the, takes the throne. And so until then, be the conspiracy theorist. <laughs> because as this comedian was saying, he said, I don't have patience for people who don't believe in conspiracy theories. So you don't believe in one conspiracy theory, not one? Like, you, like you, he said, you got this government that has all this control and all this power. You don't think they've ever lied to us once? And that's the thing is I'm okay with being called a conspiracy theorist when all these quote unquote conspiracy theories that I've been following are coming true. I'm okay with the name calling. I don't care. Call me names. I don't care. You know, the, the Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So we've got to be okay with not fitting in. We've got to be okay with being able to hold a different narrative. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have the burden to get to find truth. This doesn't mean that every quote-unquote conspiracy theory is true. This, this doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to be wise and discerning about the things. I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that are just crazy. They're just plain and simply crazy. And we have to be able to filter through that. And the way that we filter through that is by taking things prayerfully before the Lord, asking him to give us wisdom, asking him to give us insight, finding sources of, of people that are doing the same thing, that are relying on the Lord for their wisdom and not getting caught up in the hype. And so it's, it's a lot to sort through, and that's why... I'm excited to work with Paul on that project to help you guys think through this. And so we don't get caught in another COVID and, uh, and, and I, and, and, and we don't get pressured to do things like take vaccines that are very unsafe. And we don't even know the ramifications of these vaccines yet. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be negative Nancy and I hate to talk about it because I know a lot of people who innocently went and thought they got a safe and effective vaccine. And, uh, if I don't hear I'm tired all the time, I'm, I've got brain fog. I don't feel good. Um, I, I have very few people in my life that I know that got vaccinated with the RMNA in particular that don't have some sort of ailment they're complaining of. And I'm not, I don't want to point it out to them and say, you know, 
you never complained about this before you decided to go put this RMNA in your body. I, I, it hurts me for the people that I love that I saw walk down that road. And I pray that, you know, that, that those of you who've never had a side effect, that that continues to be the case and that, um, that, that those of you who've taken it are healed and, and don't have to worry about this. I'm not doom and gloom. This is one of these times I don't want to be right. But my point is this, if this, if that didn't wake you up, please wake up, please stop believing the mainstream information. I mean, just, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. This morning, I um, have heard from several news sources that we're down to about 20 days of diesel left in this country. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, understand this, that our entire industry of transportation moves on diesel. So tractor trailers, barges, trains are all diesel fueled, uh, not all, but the vast majority of them are diesel fueled. If these reports that we're almost out of diesel fuel are true, that means you will not be getting food in the grocery store anymore. There, there will be no fuel, there will be no because there will be no tractor trailers that will be able to move food or goods across the country and uh, news reports are showing between 20 and 25 days before we run out of diesel and you know a lot of this occurred if you've been watching what obama's been doing within minute with with um the, excuse me obama well anyway he is it's basically obama through biden uh, what biden's been doing with energy since he got into the since he got into power is he essentially went through and shut down all you know major sources of energy in this country so fracking and the keystone pipeline and all of these things and diesel refineries are one of the things that have been shut down and so there are very few diesel refineries especially here on the east coast that are running and as i was kind of going through to verify this i was watching a a news briefing where there were um, it wasn't the press secretary but it was some other gentleman speaking on behalf of the president and there were news reporters asking okay what 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 about the fact that we're running out of diesel fuel what is the president doing about that and, and the guy's response was well the president's working very hard about that but don't worry we've increased our energy um, exports to europe we want to make sure our the europeans are taken care of and he never once addressed the american people and so i'm sitting here and i'm kind of watching all this shaking my head going really did you not notice he never once addressed the American people and talked about how we're doing so much for Europe when, when, when if all of these news predictions are true, we're going to run out of diesel fuel and tractor trailers will not be able to operate and there will be no moving of goods across this country, which is going to cause a major economic disruption right on the, you know, right on the eve of, of Thanksgiving. I just sit and I shake my head and all this, but here's the thing. If I'm looking at that through a worldly view, I go get scared, I go buy a bunch of canned goods, and I go and I, you know, buy my Patriot supply and all this stuff. But if I'm looking at their biblical worldview, I sit down and I start praying and I say, okay, Father, you know what? The enemy wants me to live in fear. The enemy wants me to cower back. The enemy wants me to be caught up in the mainstream. But you, Lord, are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ultimately, food comes to this planet because you choose to cause the sun to shine. How do you want me to be thinking about this? How do you want me to be processing this? What should I be doing? How should I be preparing? And not allowing fear, not allowing the mainstream to drive our narrative, but allowing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and our connection to him. And that's why I believe that the Lord wanted me to talk about what we're going to talk about today, because if we aren't connected to him, the way that he has commanded us to be connected to him, we're going to find ourselves when the next thing comes. And by the way, the next thing is coming. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm saying that there is a battle that is happening in our world right now. And all you have to do is take the macro level view and understand that there are a lot of big powerful players that are all vying to control this planet there's a couple things that they have in common and i'm just going to keep this very high level and, and this is a different topic for a different day but the main thing is that they believe the earth is overpopulated they believe that the earth should not have more than 1 billion people on it when there are close to almost 8 billion people they believe that um, they need to control the energy and they need to control the food supply. This is why they've the Dutch farmers have been, you know, had their, um, which is one of the most productive producers of agriculture in the world. 
Um, they've had them. They've, the, the government has shut down the vast majority of them and caused them to reduce their production. Uh, fertilizer has stopped being imported. So we have ma major fertilizer lacking. Uh, this is the whole push for green energy, renewable energy, which is not sustainable for 8 billion people on the planet. So when you begin to understand this and you dig deeper and you see this bigger picture in the, in the narrative that the World Economic Forum is pushing, there's a battle happening right now. There's a battle happening not just in the United States, but all over the world. And um, today, as I record this, there, Brazil is in, in major riots and they're questioning the election of their new socialist government that just was was just elected yesterday and you know so there's there's so much happening right now in the world that we as christians now more than ever need to find ourselves connected into the vine and need to find ourselves like the prophet daniel praying for this country praying for this world and asking for god's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and I say this as a warning. Let's not let's not make the mistakes we made in COVID. Let's not let the news drive our, our narrative. Let's not let uh, you know all, all of these other things. Let's let the Holy Spirit in us, us connected to the vine, you know, guide us through these things. And that's really the heart of the message today. But before I get into that, look at me. I I'm going all over the place. You guys are used to it by now. Before I get into that, there's just two other quick things I wanted to say. Um, the first thing I wanted to say is thank you again to Lena for all of her hard work on the beautiful designs. I'm wearing my gather t-shirt that she put on the website and there's a bunch of uh hoodies and stuff like that if you haven't seen those on the website and we're putting together a 12-month calendar again i love my calendar it's just a simple wall calendar that hangs so keep an eye out for that and i did just post a blog yesterday so i am if you don't if you haven't signed up for the my newsletter that's the best way to stay connected i don't send out many emails maybe one or two a month if you are not getting them check your junk mail because i've had several people write me and say i've signed up for your newsletter and i've never gotten anything and when I follow up with them, it's always in their drunk or spam. And I think a lot of that's just because it comes from a custom domain. It comes from madetoconquerpodcast.com. And as a result of that, that tends those tend to go into junk mail. So just keep an eye out for the stuff in the junk mail. And then lastly, I do just want to say thank you to my friends at Butterfly Box for what they're doing. Again, uh, Stephanie, the CEO and founder, she's become a good, good friend of mine and her heart is just to help encourage women in their walk with the Lord. Sometimes having those tangible things in our hands are such great ways to do that. If you have not ever gone on the website, go on to butterflybox.com, yourbutterflybox.com, and you can use the code TIANA20 to save 20% on a, a monthly subscription. Also, if you do the longer subscriptions, like six months, there's a bunch of bonus stuff that she adds in. But what, you know, it's great. It's, it's encouraging. I find, you know, I have the little plaques and stuff all over my house. It's great encouragement. And also I have some goodies that are great little presents to give out here and there, stocking stuffers or just that girlfriend that I have a, a birthday present for. It's, it's, there's so many good things that come out of it, but the Bible study tools have been great. I've had, um, I've, they, she put a highlighter set that doesn't bleed in a couple boxes ago. And I've had so much fun highlighting my Bible with that and not having to worry about stuff bleeding through. So again, I just want to say thank you to Butterfly Box for what they're doing to help women grow in their faith. And if you haven't checked them out, do that, especially as Christmas is coming up. It's a great, it's a great um, Christmas present to give away. I did that for my girlfriend for Christmas last year. I just bought her three month subscription and it was awesome. She got a box every month for three months and it was kind of the Christmas gift that kept giving. All right, you guys, whoo. That was a long intro, so <laughs> but I did. It does dovetail into what we're going to get into. So let's uh, let's go ahead and open this session with prayer, and then we will jump right into the meat. We're going to go through actually a lot of scripture today, and I'm really excited about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the firm foundation that we built our life upon. Jesus, you taught us that. You taught us to build our foundation upon you. So when the storm comes, not if, but when the storm comes, we are strong and we are standing. Lord, it's, 
it can be so hard and confusing being a human sometimes, <laughs> not knowing what to believe, how to, how to do things right and how to operate. But Father, we know that the only way to stand in truth and to do what is right is to be plugged into you. So Lord, we just want to come before you right now. We just want to ask that we would just sit in that place where we can be still and know that you are God. Mm. Father, and that you would teach us just to trust you for all things. You would teach us just to know that you are the good shepherd, that we can, we can put our hope and our faith in the fact that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. So Lord, I pray as we get into this time, Lord, that you would help us to see your nature, who you truly are, how you want us to be plugged into you, and what that means for our security and all that you will do in our lives. Father, I love you and I thank you that we can just so boldly come before you and ask you for these things, that you are a good father. Lord, the enemy so wants to distort who you are and the role you play in our lives. And so, Father, I just ask right now that any misunderstanding we have about you, any fear, anything that is not of you would just be taken from us right now, Lord. And that in this time, your truth, your light, your spirit would, would reign and dwell within us. Fill us, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just ask that your words would speak through me. This is not my podcast. This is yours. And I just pray that these would be your words. And I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. I had one of those moments with the Lord the other night. I'm reading Pastor Jack Hibbs, the final countdown book. And something, you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes the Lord will strike you with something and you don't really expect it, it to come out of something. So I read at night a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I'm always reading. And I either have, I mean, I have an audio book that I'm always reading. And then I have a book on my Kindle that I'm reading at night. And that's the book that I've been going through. And the other night I was reading and Jack was talking about manna. Now, what's interesting is that the Lord's been taking me through passages in my quiet time with him about manna. And Jack reminds us of what happened with the Israelites with, with the manna. It's one of these things, you know, that we can, I don't know about you, but I have to be careful because I love reading. I could just read, 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 read. And I want to sit down and read a lot of the scripture at one time. And sometimes what happens with that is I get, I, I get through so much that I, I fail to see the details because I'm consuming in quantity that I, I miss just the small little nuanced details that I need to slow down and pay attention to. And so I know the story of manna. I've, I've, I've heard it many times. I've read it many times. I've been taught it many times. But Jack brought something to, to light that I'd never thought about in this way. And I think the Holy Spirit was trying to teach me something. And I wanted to share it with you because I thought it was important. You know, when the Israelites were in the desert wandering and they needed food, God provided manna for them. And essentially they lived in tents. They would open their tent and there all around them was the, the sustenance that they needed. And it was tasty. And what was cool about manna is they had to do nothing other than gather it. You could eat it directly raw or you could prepare it in a variety of different ways. And so it wasn't like you had to just eat the one thing over and over again, but it was also just such an abundant picture of God's provision. And the only time, if you remember manna, the only time that you were allowed to get manna for the next day was right before Sabbath because on Sabbath manna would not fall. They, the people were commanded to eat the manna that they had collected the day before. So there was no even collecting a manna on Sabbath. And then as time goes on, the Israelites get tired of manna. And so they say, we want, we want meat. We want meat. We want meat. Now what's ironic about that is we know that they had some herds with them. They had some cattle with them. So it's not like they didn't have access to meat outside of their own flocks. But so they were demanding from the Lord that he provide them meat. And so he sends them quail or, or doves. I forget which one. Doves, I think it is actually. And so, okay, fine. You want meat? I'll give you meat. 
But the difference between mana and, and the birds is that they now have to catch the birds. They have to kill the birds. They have to take the blood out of the birds. They have to take the feathers out of the birds. They've got to do all this work. And it's so much more work than the mana. And what I realized in that moment is it's so easy for us to miss the blessing that God has given us, the, the, that day-to-day stability, because we get in our heads that I want God to provide meat for me. It, mind you, they had herds with them, okay? So they had what they needed. They just failed to recognize that they had what they needed. They missed that daily manna that God had placed before them. And as we're looking at how the operating environment in which we're living is going to be shifting very quickly, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe maybe through the prayers and maybe through our, 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 you know, just, you know, coming before the Lord and fighting back against this, you know, the Lord will say, you know what, you're right, it is not time yet. And he will, we should be praying, by the way. All these things I'm saying are not an excuse for us not to pray. It, it's, it's the very reason for us to engage and make sure that these things are not unchecked. I mean, the Bible calls us the restrainer, restraining this evil in the world. And so we have a responsibility to continue to do that. But as I, as I think about this, you know, one of the things that the Lord just keeps reminding me is that I need to get to the place where Jesus is not something I do, but he is my life. And I don't want to be like the Israelites where I'm so engrossed in my own self-comfort and so engrossed in what makes me happy that I miss the fact that God has put this amazing blessing right out my front door. It tastes good. I can do lots of things with it. And I just allow that beautiful day-to-day provision that God provides to become something mundane or something that I get comfortable with. Think about that. Sometimes we just take for granted the simple things that God has given us. You know, it's, it's especially if you're listening to this and, and you're listening from a first world country. I know that there are people who are in third world countries who listen to this. They don't, they, they don't always know that they're going to have electricity or water running or a roof over their head. But I can go and turn on a faucet and there's running water. I've never been without electricity for more than a few hours when it was out because a car hit a, you know, a transformer down the road. We have so much manna as Christians around us that we've gotten so used to it that not only do we take it for granted, but we're grumbling against God and we're shaking our fists at him asking for meat. And this really hit me, it, it really hit me quite profoundly because I feel like as this next season of life comes up and as the bride of Christ is, is strengthened, encouraged, and she's out doing what God has called us to do because we are here for a reason, and this is such a small part of our existence, I don't want to get so focused on things that don't matter, and I don't want to miss the things that God has before me that I grumble against the Lord with that manna. And what's interesting is, as I was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 early, you know, earlier, you know, one of the things that, that Moses says to the people is he says he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with the manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand. Okay, so this is what Moses is saying to the people. This is why God allowed you to get hungry enough to ask him for manna, and then he provided you with manna, in order for you to understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And that is exactly the passage that Jesus quoted to Satan when he came out of 40 days of fasting, and he comes out and the enemy tempts him, says, turn these rocks into stone or turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, understanding that our need for spiritual nourishment is equal to our need for physical nourishment. And so as I prayed about this, 
you know, the thing that there's a passage that comes to my mind. And if you if you're on the Telegram channel, you would know this because I I've been going through this in the Telegram channel. Again, this it's not a social media app. It's a messaging app. And I post a couple things a day, scriptures. Sometimes when there's a beautiful sunrise, I'll put, you know, uh, um, a song to the background and put it up there. But it's not I'm not spamming you. But I'm really just trying to get us together corporately as a body into the word of God together. And we've been going through John chapter 15. And this is a passage that, the, that, that should be, this is, John chapter 15 should be something that we as Christians, it, it is so a part of our identity, is so a part of who we are, that it is a, it's just natural for us. And Jesus says this in John chapter 15, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And uh, we've talked about God gave you gifts and I go to use them. That's a different podcast for a different time. But in other words, you know, this, I just go to church on Sunday. Christianity is not biblical Christianity. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. That's exactly what Moses was just saying in Deuteronomy. He was saying, look, God allowed you to go hungry because he was trying to teach you something very important about your need for him. Your need isn't just for manna. Your need is for him primarily first and foremost you were already clean because of the word i've spoken to you remain in me and i in you just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must also remain in the vine so neither can you unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches the one who remains in me and i in him bears much fruit apart from me you can do nothing and then jesus goes on to say to abide in him is to obey him and to obey him is to love people and another study for another time, but another way that we know that we're abiding in him is to go to the seven letters written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation and examine yourself and see if you would find yourself guilty of any of the things that's, that Jesus accused the churches of. You did a bunch of great things, Ephesus, but you, first, you forgot your first love. <laughs> Actually, let's read that because that kind of dovetails very nicely with what we're going to talk about today. In Revelation chapter 2, Starting in verse 2, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your labor and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you've put them who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not. You have found them to be false. You have perseverance, and you've endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. And Jesus says to them, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you were when I found you. Repent and do the deed you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand from, from its place. That's a very somber warning. Jesus is saying, if you don't come back to your first love, if you don't come back to that love relationship, that is the whole purpose that I came for, then it doesn't matter your perseverance. It doesn't matter your deeds. It doesn't matter how many good things you did, because you're no longer in the vine, as he teaches us in John chapter 15. You're not abiding in me, because... The abiding in the vine begins with our love relationship with the Lord and then the love we have for our fellow humans. So on that note, we're going to start off in a story. Start off, she says. <laughs> Luke chapter 10. We're going to go to a story in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And I think this is the message for us today as we talk about what it means to be abiding in the vine, what it means to be dealing with the, the punishment of the Lord. And we think when we hear that, we think, I've done something wrong. God is rebuking me. But instead... You know, the discipline and the punishment of the Lord is really about refining us, purifying us, bringing out the best in us. And that requires having to face the parts of us that we think 
or that the Lord looks at and says, this is not your highest and best. And I'm going to bring out your highest and best by refining you in the fire, by allowing you to be uncomfortable while I work through some of this stuff with you. And so it's a blessing when God, when God reprimands us. And here we're going to see a a great story. So in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, now they were traveling along. He entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So this is Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who's raised from the dead. Now this is from Luke's perspective. And when you, when you read through the gospels many times and you understand who they were writing, who the Bible or who the letters were written to, this is an important takeaway, by the way, from that book, how not to read the Bible. The Bible was written for you, but not to you. So one of the ways that you have good hermeneutics and good understanding of the scripture is to look at who the targeted audience is. In Luke, he is writing a letter to Theophilus. So he is writing a documented uh, story about, okay, this is who Jesus of Nazareth was. This is what he did. And he's writing it very much as a report to go to Theophilus. John, you'll see John is writing it as this disciple who's in love with Jesus. And he's just completely and totally, you know, there are no parables in the book of John. It's, it's John capturing the essence of what it was to follow Messiah, whereas Luke is giving a detailed report of who Messiah was. And so that's why he talks about them almost impersonally. But when you read John's account of Mary and Martha, there's the crying and Jesus, where were you in Lazarus and, and, Mar- and Mary anointing Jesus's feet with oil. So you kind of get that different dynamic. But these are, these are two ladies who Jesus had a very love, compassionate relationship with when we look at them through the lens of the other gospels. And she had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then the Lord, tell tell her to help me. So Jesus comes over and Mary just sits at his feet. She's just, Messiah's here. And Martha's getting ready for Passover. He's got, she's got guests. She's trying to do everything. And she sees Mary just sitting there doing nothing. And she comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, come on. This isn't there. My sister's sitting there doing nothing. Tell her to help me. And this is what Jesus says to her. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Let's just pause right there. How many of you right now, if you were to just pause, and just slow down for a second, are worried and distracted by many things. Christmas is coming up. Thanksgiving's coming up. We've got all these news stories running through our heads. Our kids are doing this. The husband's doing that. The wife's doing this. Whatever place in life you're coming to, you've got this piled up at work. Things are, you know, we're closing in on the end of Q4. Martha, Martha, you are distracted. You are worried and distracted by many things. But only one thing is necessary. Jesus is going back. This is exactly what I just quoted for De- from Deuteronomy. <laughs> okay? The Lord allowed you to be hungry and provided to you manna nobody had ever had before because he wanted to teach you something. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's only one thing necessary. Moses, Mary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her. This is the New Testament version of what I read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus is saying, look, all you need is to sit at my feet because from me comes everything that you need. As we learn what it means to be sheep at the feet of the shepherd, this has to become a core, a part of our identity. 
Jesus is not something we do. He is the bread of life that we have put our faith and hope in, not just for our eternity, but for our today circumstances now. Are we going to run out of diesel in this country? I don't know. But you know what? As long as I'm plugged into the vine, as long as Jesus is my everything, as long as I'm sitting at his feet and I'm not running around like Martha, hair on fire trying to solve every problem, then I've chosen the better thing, the one thing that is necessary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul really talks a lot about in 2 Corinthians what it was like being an apostle and the, the challenges that he faced. And so we're going to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together, the entire chapter, because I think in so many ways what Paul's talking about here is going to become a reality or is becoming a reality for all of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, we have this ministry we have received, uh, sorry, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. Okay, we've received mercy. God has been compassionate on us because we are in this world and dealing with the things that we're dealing with. We do not lose heart, Paul says, verse 2. But we have reconciled, or excuse me, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery nor distorting the word of God, but by open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. So in other words, Paul's saying, look, we're, we're not trying to play games with you. We're, we're speaking God's truth in the open and in the public. Verse 3, and if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's lowercase g, and he's speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Boy, this is something that resonates so deeply right now. I mean, I feel like it's like some of the stuff I'm saying just falls on deaf ears. This world is so blinded right now by the, I mean, it's just, just the, I mean, even if some of you, have probably been offended by what I've said about the vaccine, but it's like the, the, the data is so, I would not say, I don't say that lightly. I say that because the data is so overwhelming <laughs> that it's, it's impossible to ignore. And that's just one tiny fraction. I mean, I, I literally, you know, have conversations with people who don't believe in the Bible and just the, the things that they believe is are astounding to me. I know somebody who's an agnostic who believes that they just can't wait for the technology to come out where you can upload your brain into a computer and you can be immortal. And they literally are placing their faith in the fact that mankind is going to be able to find a way to create machines that don't die, that we can upload our consciousness into and survive. And, and that's actually called transhumanism, which is the new religion of the new world, which is behind all of this World Economic Forum, Greenpeace deal. It's this whole concept that humans are a drain on the earth they need to be eliminated we should only have a few humans and the earth is is humans are for the earth not the earth for humans as the bible teaches and so you know when i try to point out like you you realize that this is a demonic transhumanist doctrine and that it requires killing seven billion people to get to this uh, supposed initiative it is one of the most genocidal eugenics driven and 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 but these same people would be like hitler was horrible and i'm like but you're literally promulgating the the things that he promulgated which is eugenics and and just the blindness is there and so this is exactly what paul's saying he's saying look if there are people who don't understand our messages because they because the god of this world the lowercase g of this world has blinded them and kept them from being able to understand this for we do not preach ourselves, Paul saying, I'm not talking about me, but I preach Christ, Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your servants on account of Jesus. For God said, light shall shine out of darkness, excuse me, light shall shine out of darkness is 
the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, so, so you know, what, what Paul is saying is like, look, God's word is going to shine into the darkness, but the darkness isn't always going to understand it. This is what John said in John chapter 1, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So in other words, what Paul's saying is like, look, I know that I'm just a vessel and I know that God's power will shine through who I am. And he says this in verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body, the dying sent, excuse me, always carrying around in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So what Paul is saying is, look, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. They can, they can persecute us. They can afflict us. They can strike us down. They can, they can do whatever they want. But because I've died to myself, because I am plugged into the vine, because I sit at the feet of Jesus, none of these things will ever overcome me. None of these things will ever be greater than what I have in Jesus Christ. None of the persecution, none of the trials, none of the tribulation will ever be more than what I have in Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus was trying to teach Martha. Martha, you only need me. All of these other things, whatever life may throw at you, if I am the foundation by which you have built your life, then you have everything you need. So Paul, continuing in verse 13, says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. So we're all going to be together with the Lord. For all things are for your sake, so that grace, having spread more and to more and more people, will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And so Paul closes this section by saying this, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is exactly the heart of what Jesus was saying to, to Mary is, is Martha, look, you're looking at the temporary earthly things. I'm challenging you to look at the eternal things. For the rest of our lives, my friends, for the rest of our lives, as long as we have dirt under our feet and breath in our lungs and we live in these bodies made of dirt, the enemy is going to come at us. He's going he's gonna to do whatever he can to destroy us because that's what he does. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. <laughs> When we are rooted and grounded in Jesus, when he is the core and the foundation of our life, then we can be afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. These are light and momentary afflictions compared to what we gain in the unseen realm. For the rest of our lives, we will have a Red Sea at our back and Pharaoh's armies before us. 
when you think about that, I think about that miracle all the time. And it is, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's a miracle that God tells the people, reminds them over and over again, remember what I did when I got you out of Egypt. And it is, it is very much, it was very much a real physical thing, but it's also very symbolic of remember what I did when I got you out of the world. It is symbolic of the journey we as pilgrims on this planet go through when God extricates us from the sinful world. And we see, I mean, how many of you guys listening to this over the past few months or years have just had, you, you just feel like God has opened your mind and you see things that you never saw before. You understand that what you didn't see. When you read this section about the veil blinding the eyes of the world, you go, oh my gosh, I was so much that person for so long. And now I have perspective that I never had before. When, when we find ourselves with what seem like impossible circumstances, we can be Martha. We can run around, we can lose focus, or we can get where we belong, and that is at the feet of Jesus, recognizing that our, our source and our hope and our next step comes from him. And the difference is this. When we've got our, sea against, our back against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming at us, what stood between the people and the armies of Pharaoh? the cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. That is one of the best parts about that story is that God literally led his people with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was a physical symbol there that helped them to understand you are not alone. I am with you. I am the source that is going to get you through this. And we get to decide if we're going to be like Martha and we're going to look at the army or if we're going to be like Mary and we're going to look at the pillar of fire. What you aim at is what you'll see. Are you going to be focused on Jesus, focused on getting your identity in him, focused on being at his feet, trusting in his word, trusting in, in, in the fact that these eternal or these temporary circumstances don't matter in the long run as long as I am plugged into the vine and doing what it is that God has called me to do. I want to warn us against becoming Martha's in this season because it's our natural tendency. <laughs> It is so much our natural tendency that it's, it's the main push that we as humans deal with. And, and here's, let me give you an example. I was recently having a conversation with somebody who's an agnostic or a, a proclaimed agnostic. And this person was saying to me, I, I was joking with them. And I said, well, you know, when I'm raptured, um, you can make sure you say that at my funeral. And this person said to me, well, what makes you think I wouldn't be raptured? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you put your faith, your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And, and the person said to me, well, no, why would that cause me to be raptured? I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And I said, no. I said, it, it has nothing to do with how good you are. And as we started talking about it, I said to the person, I said, why would you want that burden on you? Why do you want to try to be good enough for God's kingdom? I said, look, the reason that God's standard for heaven is perfection, because he's never going to let sin taint his perfect perfection again. And there's only one way that we can be perfect enough for heaven. And that is through the blood of the lamb. Praise God that I don't have to carry that responsibility. And this person just kind of looked at me like I had six heads. And I realized several things in that moment. First of all, I realized that very few people know the true gospel of Jesus. While there are admittedly almost no Americans who've never heard about Jesus, I dare say that the, the number of Americans or just people on this planet that know the true gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is very few because, because his name has become so normalized. In fact, it's a swear word. <laughs> I love how Pastor Jack always points out, notice how nobody kicks a tree and says, oh, Muhammad. It's always JC, right? And 
I, I just, it was, it, it was, it was insightful to me because our natural tendency, this is just that, that pride that comes from the fall and, and, you know, the original sin of Satan is to say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way and I will set the rules and I will do it in my own strength. And so we fight against this idea of God's grace given to us because we want to rest in our own goodness and our own morals. And what we don't realize in that process is that we're robbing ourselves from the beautiful gift that comes in just simply putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we push against this in a couple of different ways. So you have this agnostic atheist world. And what's interesting is that Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, and he's an atheist and you know, he mocks Christianity, but he has this whole passage where he, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically says God is a, you know, m- egotistical maniac, you know, angry, you know, angry, jealous, hateful, vengeful God. And, and so his justification for not being a Christian is because he wants to take out of context the passages that, you know, that deal with God's justice, and he is a just God, and he will deal with us justly, and, and, and focus on that rather than focus on the amazing grace that is available in Jesus. And so he would rather dig his feet into the ground and put a stake in the ground and say, I will not serve this ego, maniacal, maniac, angry, hateful, bigoted God. And the irony of that is that is exactly who he serves because what he just described is Satan and that's whose kingdom he's living in. And, and I just, I think about this and I go, do you not see this? Do you not see the irony that the very thing you claim to hate is who you actually serve? And you have been given this opportunity to have free salvation, free life. And it's not about how good you are, but it's always been about Jesus. And then you can put your faith in him and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will transform you into the image of the Son. And those things you hate about yourself, God will eventually work out of you because he loves you enough not to leave you the way that he found you. And it's astounding to me how many people would rather rest in their laurels and come up with their own sense of righteousness and do it themselves. And so you kind of have that side of the spectrum. But equally on the other side of the spectrum, you have this religious crowd that says, I'm going to do my religious deeds and I'm going to follow my rules and I'm going to live by and I'm going to be dogmatic about it. And I am going to go to church on Sundays and I'm going to go to church on Wednesdays and I'm not going to miss a sermon and we're not going to do anything unethical. We're not going to watch TV in this home and we are going to live righteously. And it's coming from a a place of self-righteousness rather than, Father, you dwell within me and I don't want anything in my life that could potentially crowd your voice out or be in a place that you don't want to dwell. And I I don't want these things in my life because I want you more than anything else. Do you see the difference? This religious spirit is exactly the the spirit of the Pharisees that caused them to yell, crucify him, rather than, yes, Lord, we accept your free gift of salvation. And so we do it on both ends of the spectrum. We do it as atheists, agnostics, and we do it as as religious Christians. And Jesus is sitting here saying, no, 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 no. That's not a burden I ever designed for you to carry. You can't. (laughs) He said, I want to carry it for you, and I will carry you. I am your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. We've got to be really careful that we don't find ourselves in Martha's camp. We've got to be really careful that we don't find ourselves with our backs against the Red Sea looking at Pharaoh's army. And I've been reading through the book of Job, and I used to like avoid the book of Job because I was like, oh my gosh, every time I read it, God's going to take me through something really challenging. And now I'm not afraid for God to take me through things that hurt. What I'm afraid of is not learning what God's teaching me because I'm so pig-headed or stuck in something that I miss what he's teaching me in that moment. Because everything in our life is Father-filtered. 
And so everything that I go through, God is using in my life. And what I don't want to do is miss what he's using and kick against it and fight against what he's doing. Instead, I want to surrender and allow him to do his complete work in my life. That comes from being plugged into the vine. That comes from being surrendered to the Lord and not trying to earn or have a sense of self-righteousness, but put my faith in the Lord and then ask him to teach me what it means to follow him that day, that moment. As our operating environment changes, as the world changes, as we have more questions, as the uncertainty grows, maybe it's a season and maybe this is the next chapter and maybe we're moving closer to the Ezekiel 38 war as many Bible teachers think we are. Either way, nothing changes for us as Christians because we still always belong to the feet of Jesus and we should be there today, we should be there tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after because what we really need and what we've always really needed was him. And that may sound simplistic, <laughs> But that's the whole story of manna, guys. I'm going to put a roof over your head. I'm going to put food on your table. And I'm going to shepherd you to the end because that is who I am. And the enemy's lies about who God is and the fear and the doubt don't come from him. They come from the enemy. And one of the things is I'm reading through Job that I just want to become impervious to are the, are the, this is exactly what Paul was hitting on in Corinthians, what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, are the attacks of the enemy. It can hit me. Yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to be discouraging. Yeah, it's not going to feel good. But you know what? It's not going to crush me because I don't look at Pharaoh's army. I look at the pillar by day, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. I've got my eyes on Jesus. That is my goal as a Christian is get to get to the point when the enemy smacks me or, or hits me. Yeah, that burned. But you know what? It's okay because Jesus is my God. And he would never let me to go, go through anything without being with me, without having a reason for allowing it. And so I'm going to shake the get up, shake myself off, and keep going. Because this life was never meant to be comfortable. This isn't my home. This isn't, I'm, I'm, I'm on mission. <laughs> this is temporary. Everything about my life is for his kingdom. And when this becomes our mindset, when we are Mary sitting at his feet and not allowing the noise to distract us, then we really come into what it means to be a Christian. Truly follow the shepherd. So in closing, we're going to read Psalm 71. This is kind of a long psalm, but I love it. It's just, I've, I've read it a couple of times over the past couple of days, and I just wanted to share it with you today because I think it's such a great way to end today's study. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and save me. Extend your ear to me and help me. Be to me a rock of dwelling to which I may continually come. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and fortress. Save me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the wrongdoer and the ruthless, for you are my hope. Lord God, you are my confidence from youth. I have leaned on you since my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me away at the time of my old age. Do not abandon me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together, saying God has abandoned him. Pursue him and seize him, for there is no one to save him. God, do not be far from me. My God, hurry to my aid. May those who are enemies be put to shame and consumed. 
May they be covered with grace and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will wait continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the art of writing. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me until I declare your strength to this generation your power to all who are to come for your righteousness god reaches to the heavens you who have done great things god who is like you you who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again will bring me up again from the depths of the earth may you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me i will also praise you with a harp and your truth my god I will sing praises to you with a lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue will also tell of your righteousness all day long, for they are put to shame, for they are humiliated who seek my harm. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary for mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her father may your voice be the voice that leads us in the night and in the day may we be like mary content to sit at your feet and trust that you are the rock that we put our hope in may we learn just to be plugged into the vine and to surrender to the pruning and the growth and the things that you teach us. May we become impervious to the attacks of the enemy, Father, because we see you before us. We don't see Pharaoh's army. We don't see impossible circumstances. But we see our God, the one in whom we've put our faith and hope in, the one in whom we have chosen for the remainder of our days to follow with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not because we can, but because of your spirit in us can transform us into who you designed us to be, into who Jesus made possible for us to become through the shedding of his blood and the resurrection from the grave. So, Lord, we set ourselves at your feet. We humbly ask that any of the Martha in us that has become distracted, caring about much, Lord, would just be silenced before you now, and that we would just sit at your feet and gaze upon you and be content in who you are. Lord, forgive us for taking for granted the manna that you've placed all around us. I just pray right now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Father, and that we may just see the manna and the abundance and the provision that you have around us. And, Father, that we would not grow discontent or weary of what you've been so gracious with us. Father, teach us just to love the things that you've given us, to delight in them, to be like children and enjoy the simple things and not need the, the meat and the quail or the doves. Instead, Lord, just to... Be content with your provision in our life. Father, teach us just to allow you to be enough because you are enough. Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that you transform us from the inside and out. We thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So that you are our great high priest. 
We come before you as your children. We humbly lay ourselves down at your feet and thank you that you will never be done with us until you call us home. Until then, Lord, may your light shine brightly through us. May we belong to you in every way possible and show us. Reveal to us, prune us, discipline us, and prepare us for anything that is not of you in our lives. Lord, we love you, and we just ask this in the precious name of Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus our Messiah. Amen. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. I just want to say thank you again for those of you that do take time to leave reviews. It does make a big difference. The more reviews that this gets, the more this comes up in feed of people looking for Christian podcasts, and I appreciate that. I think that's a lot of the way that this podcast is going to have so many listeners is because you guys take a few minutes to do that. So thank you again. Keep following Jesus. He's 1,000% worth it. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.